right, what is going on, guys? It is the Chasing Waypoints podcast, episode number 23. Look at that. Uh-oh. quarter, Almost a quarter away to the 100 episodes. i got to start planning something epic for episode number 100. That's right, we've got our eyes set already on triple-digit episodes. Nice. Anyway, all right. So, we've been talking about it a couple times. You guys have heard it mentioned on the podcast episode. Uh, going back and forth a little bit on it, but uh, this week we've got somebody special on the episode. Uh, we are going to be talking to Mike Graves, organizer, creator of the Code Rally. So, for those of you who haven't not heard, the Code Rally is going to be one of the very first rallies in North America, United States, fully permitted, fully ready to go. Colorado, Utah area. So I am absolutely looking forward to it. Had a chance already to talk to Mike a little bit, just kind of get a feeler for the story and and what's going on. And it is absolutely amazing. So if you guys are ready to go, we will get it tuned in. But if you haven't heard last week's episode, we got a chance to sit down or talk to uh, Dave Martin. Happy Dave. Awesome episode. It was really great catching up with him. He is definitely one of the good guys in rally racing is always great working talking hanging out with them in the bivouac and so looking forward to seeing more events so rewind back if you've not heard that episode yet it's just one episode to go so all right with that being said let's get this link over to mike get this thing going hope everybody's having a good week and everything's been going well it has definitely been interesting Sonora rally out of the way now Coda rally going to be coming up and then you're going to have baja rally just after that so i am looking forward to it should be fun all right here we go Turn down the music a little bit. Get that party turned down a little. All right. Link has been sent. All right. So... This is pretty interesting. I'm, I'm really excited to have him uh, have him on here and, and listening to to a little bit of the story, share the story with them, with everybody. Very unique concept. I like how he's doing things. It's going to be great for roadbook experience for a lot of guys. So, well, looking forward to it here. So we'll give him a few minutes to get on the line here. He's got the link ready to go. Turn down this party. All right, so it has been an absolutely interesting week with work and everything, waiting on uh, motorcycle parts to show up, continue the build, get that 790 back up, ready to go, and then from there, uh, get some rides in. Definitely missing Baja. haven't ridden in Baja for a while. Uh, Next, uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend, got the Baja 500 coming up, so I'll be down there helping... Uh, my brother Rancher Racing, Adrian Oriana, uh, with 
uh, his effort on the UTV side of things. So it should be good. Looking forward to that. Spend a little bit of time down there. Get away from uh, get away from San Diego. Go to the land of tacos. So I think that'll be pretty cool. But yeah. So I don't know if any of you guys have already tried uh, building some road books and stuff like that. Uh, it is uh, the new Rally Navigator uh, setup that they've got going on. It's actually pretty cool. Uh, I saw some stuff the other day on the Facebook uh, about another program that's coming out, but it just looked way too familiar. So I'll think I'll stick probably with the OG stuff. Uh, you know, Dave Shirley and or Mike Shirley and uh, Dave Packham and all those guys. You know, doing their thing, developing that uh, that Rally Navigator. So uh, it's pretty cool. It already has made the transition over to the English language. So. Uh, that sounds weird, but uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, it was a couple of years ago that uh, the organization, the ASO, uh, changed the road books from uh, from French to uh, English. So now the notes uh, are a little bit easier to read, but then again, also, I mean, for us, I guess you could say, but uh, for those of you that, that spent all that time learning French and, and getting used to it, you know, that's uh, a little bit of a learning curve, kind of evened out the playing field again, so... Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it, uh, seeing how that uh, how it grows, making road books, doing that kind of stuff. Um, if you didn't get uh, last episode and, and get a chance to listen to Happy Dave uh, talk about his training with Scott Bright, um, it was definitely a good episode to uh, to listen to uh, his experience and how he did it um, in navigating and missing the waypoints. He actually sent me a picture of the waypoint uh, of the note. Uh, that was in the book that it was uh, they kept throwing him for a loop and um, and it's pretty cool and yeah I mean it's definitely one of those notes I mean it's there and just like he said is sometimes you just got to go a little bit further uh, in order to hit it so uh, it was it was it was pretty awesome so I was looking forward to uh, to listening to it and tuning in with him uh, it was a pretty good uh, pretty good episode so uh, looking forward to spending some more time with him down in the bivouacs. I think uh, Sonora's getting ready to the next one. And I mean, there's there's some stuff going down. So um, definitely keep an eye. And if you haven't followed him already, it's uh, at RideHappyMX uh, on Instagram. So definitely uh, throw him a follow if you are listening and wherever you are listening from. And so I would like to get an idea too, speaking of which. Uh, so for those of you guys that are following us on Instagram at chasing waypoints underscore official uh just check in on the posts i'm gonna make a post of this new episode going up and uh i don't know post up where are you listening from where are you tuning in from you know want to hear uh want to hear where everybody's listening from i see the the analytics and everything and what spotify and um and anchor tell me the episodes are going to and from and uh now it's actually kind of cool to see um actually in person where everything's going so that is cool. I am looking forward to that. Let me see here. It looks like we're having a little bit of trouble with this thing. So let me see. Click the link. Try this again. See if that one works. All right. Let's see. I just sent him another link. I wonder what happened on that one. It is being interesting. So, looking at that. So anyway, so, all right, let's see. 
sent the link to him again, so let's see what we can get out of it. So, also would like to know, let's see what else. What kind of other episodes do you guys want to hear? What? Uh, who are the people that we need to be talking to? Uh, Mike Graves was referred uh, to me by Billy Trapp because of the Coda Rally and what he is doing. And so now here we are uh, getting ready to talk with him about his event and what he is doing. Uh, I think that'd be really cool. So I've, I want to meet more people. I know that uh, I saw the the Instagram posts with Adam Sherd. He is out uh, with the Vintage 1000. Uh, they're out doing a ride. So I'm going to hit him up as well and just kind of see how the event uh how it went i saw some pretty cool pictures um so if you guys are not following them uh just look up vintage 1000 and you'll find that on instagram uh definitely worth the follow they got a really cool program going on with the older bikes um and running road books you know just real basic stuff in it and it's pretty cool it's just all older bikes uh they all help each other out they're all doing their thing and uh it's pretty cool uh i think i may have even seen a picture of a bike that caught fire again so uh, definitely worth a follow to keep up with those adventures. Uh, let's see. All right. So getting on with this episode, we're having a little bit of technical difficulty getting him onto the, uh, onto the platform, but, uh, not a problem. Let's see here. So, uh, we're talking to, it's going to be, almost there. We can do this. Come on, technology. So, we'll be talking to Mike Graves about Coda Rally and what they're going to be doing. And so, it's like they mentioned on their website. It is uh, CodaRallyAdventures.com. All right. looks like he's working on it now. All right. Uh, CodaRallyAdventures.com. Uh, is the website to go to, and you can find the information about uh, what is uh, what is going to be on, uh, what the itinerary is, the dates. It looks like it's September 10th through the 14th. Uh, that puts it in the same month as Baja Rally. Baja Rally at the end of the month. Uh, this is going to be right at the middle of the month. Uh, so this would be a good good warm up. You know, go ride this area, and and if you haven't been, uh, or if you this is the first time listening or hearing about it, um, they are on. Uh, if you look up Coda Rally, they are on Instagram as well. And, and Mike's been posting pictures of uh, the events and some of the places that he is riding. So um, that's also uh, really epic. I'm going to see, I'm going to trouble him for a uh, cover photo for this podcast to put up on the website. Uh, got a picture of the trophy there. Got some roadbook stuff going on. Uh, a lot of, lot of stuff going. So also um, just so you guys kind of know a little bit about it as we wait here. I don't want to share too much, but. Uh, this is like the first official fully permitted AMA sanctioned uh, rally type event uh, in North America. Or I shouldn't say North America. I should say the United States. Right. So, oh, looks like we got him on the line. Let's find out. I'm here. Michael, are you there? Yes, I am, Victor. <laughs> All right. Welcome, sir. Thank you. So, I was just bragging about how you're like fully permitted AMA sanctioned the whole deal. It wasn't easy. Uh, no. <laughs> Let, actually, that's you know what? That's perfect. So anyway, let's start there. So what? Um, so right, we already know Coda Rally. Uh, yeah, we call it Cota for Colorado, Utah, from where we used to ride when we were younger, back when we were seventies um, through the eighties, nice. growing up over there. Yeah. 
so what um, I know we talked last week, but uh, talk a little bit. What what kicked this whole thing off? Why why are we doing this rally? What kicked this all off was after um, me being in uh, the military and law enforcement. We kind of like left what we used to do behind because we always had terrible days off and you just couldn't go do things like everybody else used to. So when I retired in 2018, me and my best friend, we've known each other since like seventh grade and he retired like a couple months after I did. And I said, you know, let's go back home and let's ride the routes that we used to ride. We were young hellions. And, uh, we spent some time scoping out some routes that we used to ride to see if some of them were even, um, available anymore because of all the um, new uh, uh, wilderness areas they put in or wilderness study areas. Uh, so we took off. And we were out in the desert one night, and I said, you know, Scott, wouldn't it be good if we ended up doing a, uh, a competitive event that went through all the areas that we like to go through? And uh, I can remember him looking at me if we were having drinks around a fire, and he goes, uh, are you high? He goes, with all the regulations and policies and procedures, nothing's in our favor for this. He goes, you're wasting your time. And we talked about it a little bit more. He says, well, you worked in law enforcement and you've been a pilot all these years. You've got the time now, so figure it out. So I uh, sat down and went through all the regs and everything and started drafting a uh, document. And I kind of like drafted this document like I was working for an agency still for a special event. I, had, I went out to all the communities, knocked on doors of local governments, uh, county governments, municipalities, and I worked our way up to the state governments. And then from the state governments, we had it all put together with the draft document. We then submitted that to the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management. Um, the uh, uh, Forest Service, right out of the chute, they were like, this is huge. This is really huge, especially their recreational technician for one of the areas we're going through. He's a uh, two-stroke rider, and he was like, I would really like to compete in this. And I said, I'm sorry, man, but due to EPA stuff, we can't uh, allow any two-strokes because they really, every time we went into this, there was another layer of the onion to peel for simple things, like really simple things. Um and that's what was the hardest part. And we got to the BLM, the BLM for four months, didn't even open up the draft document and told us, nope, no, no, no. Um, we could understand why they were telling us no, because when I did my research, one of the things that changed the BLM was that uh, really bad trophy truck race in uh, California at the uh, Johnson Valley OHV area where 12 people got injured and eight people got killed and there was no oversight. And that changed everything in recreational motorized sports on federal lands for the BLM. Mm -hmm. Um, So what they were telling us was that, you know, it's a rally. We have a dedicated area for speed events. And I had to come out and tell them, I said, that's not what we're looking for. I told them, I said, we're looking for a rally that is um, within um, the federal code that's not a speed event. I said, because it's, it's going to be a rally. We want it to go long distance. And um, when I brought it to their attention, I said, the longest running rally organization in America was the uh, Corvette Owners of America, and they do time, speed, distance, and they have no tracking or no nothing. 
So when I was looking at the oversight, especially after I found out the BLM was at fault for that accident because there was zero oversight, Mm -hmm. um, they issued the permits for that trophy truck event, but there was nobody there for oversight. And I told the people we were working with in the BLM, I said, if it was me, I would not have found in your favor either. I said, you can't issue permits and not have oversight. So when the BLM got around to opening up our document, they were stunned. They were literally stunned. Because with me um, flying aviation, I've been a pilot. I was a pilot for my agency for about seven years. And I've been flying helicopters since 95. And I got into aviation when I was 18 doing fixed-wing stuff. And I said, you know, why don't we do what they've done for the bigger races? Because everything that's an airframe has a transponder on board to tell you um, altitude, direction of travel, and airspeed. And I said, why can't we start working this stuff into um, motorized um, events on federal land so that we start having oversight? So there can't be any of this finger pointing of, well, you did this, you're responsible for that. If we put, I hate to say this because I learned this in law enforcement, is what happens if we put the onus on the participant? The participant knows that this is the way this event's going to be hosted. Mm-hmm. And you can't go out there and do careless and reckless like you and I talked earlier. Um, we actually asked for an oversight rider, and they didn't want to give us one. And I said, we'd really like to have one so we can get input about our rally. You will ride the event with us. You will uh, camp with us in the same bivouac. You'll give us our two cents worth. And um, it won't be one of those things you wait till next year when we're trying to hold another rally. And um, like you stated, uh, yeah, you know, we don't want – anybody to come up and say, see, we told you so later. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that was always really impressed us and we've never been able to do it was we always liked it. I like watching the videos for Sarah's rally and the Hellas rally, but the Sarah's rally really got me, even though both rallies are held in Greece in an area that's smaller than some States in the United States. Um, we really liked the way the Sarah's rally was dedicated just to motorcycles and it ranged from any size four-stroke to big adventure bikes. And um, we said, you know, with Colorado and Utah, with all, all the federal lands we have, we can do this so that it represents, you know, the riders of the western states who ride the mountains, who ride the high mountain desert. Um, it's not about the speed. It's all about the navigation skill set. It's about the rider skill set on different trains. And since the Molimoto event, which we love because we think those guys are cast iron doing it, mm-hmm. um, is um, can you keep your machine up and running? You know, if another competitor wants to help you, that's fine, but we're not going to help you. That's not the way that we lined it out. We had to make it a little bit harder for an event if we're not going to have a straight-up speed event. And I can remember talking to the BLM and saying, this train section here I said, if they can get over 45 miles an hour through this train section, bless them. I said, if not, you know, I will see them when the EMS helicopter comes to take them to the hospital. <laughs> but it was just it was just one of those things, Victor. It took a lot of planning. And as I told you earlier, it's like everything that's on our website for required items. That was from stakeholders we had to sit down at a table with and negotiate and talk for these things. Um um, this wasn't uh, us coming up with these ideas. It was them coming up with these ideas. 
So I think that was the that was um, the biggest thing for us. It just it took time. It took two years, no playing around, no nothing. It took two years of sitting down with people, talking to them, making modifications, and taking it back to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it wasn't very, I mean, obviously it wasn't straightforward. And then, like you said, the, with the regulations layer upon layer, you know, it, it's just like this never-ending staircase. How, how yes. long was this permitting process basically for you on this? It took us two years. So uh, last year, we were going to have it last year. And one of the things that I was really worried about was the BLM, believe it or not, came back first with our permit. The Forest Service kept telling us we had a permit, we had a permit, and they were um, waiting um, to give it to us. And we're like, we need it before, you know, because what the Forest Service was notorious for was you'd be a month from your event, then they issued a permit. And I told him, I said, that's not the way it's going to work for us. I need the permit numbers so that when I submit to birdsong insurance, they need to see this this many days out before the event. Well, the Forest Service has one uh, recreational specialist technician that hands out permits for four states. And when I met, she has worked very hard with us. And when I found out she was swamped, it was like, you know, I had to give her a break. But then when... um, it came down to COVID coming out. That kind of like destroyed everything. Mm-hmm. And I had so many people that were extremely excited about this event. And when I told them about, you know, if you're expecting a speed event, this is not like going to Mexico where you're going to be hammering down through the dunes or whatever. This is going to be totally different. And um, all the different people that I talked to, like I told you earlier, you know, I can remember sitting down with different people and talking to them mm-hmm. and, going over the stuff because the film was nice for rallies, but the film doesn't go for the United States. You're talking about the uniform traffic code and stuff. And you're like, Hmm, that's not going to work here. Mm-hmm. Um, because we had to have for an event like this, we had to have a hundred percent oversight and that's where the uh, trackers came in. That's when I, you know, we reached out to uh, rally cop because I really did my research on him. I really liked what Mike came up with when he designed that system I was like, simple, that's on the money, very easily programmable, because there's very few tracking companies. If you look worldwide, there's actually very few tracking companies that make a unit that actually goes on a motorcycle. You know, they have the ones for the Dakar, and you have the um, one that uh, uh, Newbie Sports has, the Stella Tracker. But, you, I mean, it's... It was one of those things of we had to write this whole thing different. And, um, you know, I talked to some people. Like I said, the first person I talked to was Alex Moorfield over at Slavin's Racing. I got back and I was telling him about it. And he goes, Mike, you ought to go talk to Chris Vestel. He's done the Dakar. And um, I said, okay. And so I reached out to Chris and started texting Chris back and forth and then Chris uh, gave me the contact of information for Scott Bright. So I actually went and um, sat down and talked to Scott. Scott had me rolling, um, talking about, you know, the different types of uh, uh, rally kits that go on your bike and, you know, how it's all an experiment. You know, you put it on the bike and then you go take off and halfway through the ride sitting in your lap. So <laughs> and I'm, it was funny because 
he had me rolling and he sure enough he was right i bought something and i put it on my bike and halfway through the day i'm putting more and more loctite on it and finally i'd had enough and as soon as i came to a town i went and got red loctite to super glue it all together with industrial red loctite so <laughs> whatever works <laughs> whatever works but you know then i sat down with chris after the document was done i said you know we met for lunch and i sat down with him and it was really funny because I gave him a three-ring binder and he's reading it because Chris actually told me he's actually tried to do rallies. He goes, man, he goes, how did you do this? I told him straight up. I said, I played the game that the feds play. I went by line by line and what's going to work and what's not going to work. And um, I can remember Chris looking down. He goes, Mike, nobody's going to do your rally because you don't allow mooses. Every rally rider allows mooses. And I said, that's fine. And he put the three-ring binder up on the table and, I kept eating it. He looked at me kind of funny. He goes, are you not understanding me? And I said, Chris, I understand you. I said, but we have a thing called the Uniform Traffic Code in the United States. If it says for off-road use only and you put it on asphalt, you're not, you're not street legal. Mm-hmm. And I said, for our event, you have to be street legal. I said, because you have to go get fuel. You have to get to have connectors going to different places. And I said, so even that means uh, – uh, a county road, a dirt road, a paved road. It doesn't matter. It has to be street legal. So I've had guys that have called me up or texted me, goes, Mike, why won't you let us use um, mooses? And I'm like, here's the deal. We sat down with the AMA, and Serena Van Dyke was our contact, contact, and she worked with us for that two-year period. When we submitted to Birdsong, you know, we had to – be on the up and up and i said if any of the riders that are ama because you have to be am you have to be an ama member for our event and since they sanctioned us right out of the shoot which wasn't supposed to happen until after our second year because they want us to have the event first Mm -hmm. they said no we've been working with you hand and fist over this thing go and submit us your sanctioning paperwork so when birdsong when they reviewed the whole program you know they were like we understand this we understand that and that's how we got the insurance. So if something happened to an accident and a law enforcement officer shows up and they do an investigation and they look down and they go, this bike is not street legal. Did you know about this? And that rolls downhill to birdsong going, did you know about this? Well, you're not covered for your event insurance now. Have a nice day. So it was a, it was a, it was a totally different mindset um, to start this thing. And, you know, We've all been there. We all have ridden dirt bikes, and we've all been, you know, done stuff that wasn't up and up. As I said, why do you think I was so good at working law enforcement all these years? Because I wasn't a perfect child. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that is, but that is how we got to where we are. And I mean, there, a lot of people helped us. I mean, a lot of people. I'm nobody. I've not done a rally race. I never had the opportunity. It took me 15 years to have Sunday, Monday off on my job. Mm-hmm. And then you're voting your seniority for vacations or whatever. And if you're the bottom man of the totem pole, which could be a while, you kind of like uh, are sucking buttermilk. So, like I said, we reached out to a lot of people. You know, I um, from, you know, Chris Vestel, Scott Bright. Um, I actually got to talking to Dave Peckham. Dave, believe it or not, he helped me out a lot because – a lot of people told me different things and then I had to kind of like splice it together to figure out how to make it work for us. So, um, Dave 
pointed me to the gentleman that runs the R3 rally raid in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And we were emailing back and forth because Dave goes, oh, you're going to have a time speed distance rally. I said, yeah, it's going to be like that, but it's going to have a major difference to it. I said, once on the clock, when you go across the start line, you stay on the clock until you reach the bivouac to finish. I said, there's not going to be any time sections or anything like that. I said, we're going to have 100% oversight over each uh, participant. And that means that it is what it is. If you come to a red light and another participant made a green light and you're stuck there, oh, well. And uh, I told him, I said, we've got to make it so the event, the participants are riding it clean. You can never make up your time. So you got to get it in your head. I've got to push forward and keep going. I can take a break. I can do whatever. Because mm-hmm. even during the Dakar, it doesn't show the guys, you know, putting down food or gels or whatever. It doesn't show that like when you watch it on TV. Every once in a while, small, it shows a small clip of the guys in a group uh, taking a break in the desert or whatever. So we wanted to do it a little bit different. So Dave hooked me up with uh, Luis Lorenzo. And from R3 Rally Raid, and we were emailing back and forth, and I really liked the way they were doing it, but there was one thing that wouldn't work in the United States. They actually were had oversight on their state lands for their roads and trail systems, and they actually had it to where they had a center line in the middle of the trail or the road system. And if you went wide on either one while riding, you got a time penalty because they wanted to keep erosion down. Mm. And then they had uh, speed areas, speed control areas. Mm -hmm. But when I got around asking him, I said, so tell me what you do on public roads. And he said, well, it's the honor system. And I went, yeah, that's not going to work here in the U.S. So we started from that as a way to kind of leapfrog into when we wrote our um, draft document to present to the Forest Service and the BLM. And uh, we've had, like I said, we've had a lot of guys just come out. I had uh, uh, Chris Braun. He's been uh, helped me out a lot with road books. You know, I can remember he said, I'll sign any document you want, keeping the secret. And I said, Chris, I said, I'm good with it, dude. It's all right. And he's like, so I sent him a road book. He's like, your road books aren't bad, Mike. He goes, but you got a cap heading in every box. I just took it for granted. There's a cap heading in every box. He goes, you don't have to do that. He goes, only when it's going to get really dicey for navigation or off piss day, then you can go ahead and do that. Uh, He he helped out a lot because he actually sent me road books from the Saris Rally and other rallies. And Andrew Short sent me uh, um, a couple road books from the – and the Lucia rally. And it was kind of cool because I got to see that every person who writes a road book is an author and they write it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So um, the thing that we really liked was the way the Saris, the you know, author of the Saris rally was doing it. That was pretty close to sort of like the way I write my road books that uh, me and my friend Scott do. And um, like I said, there's just been a lot of help. And I don't know how much these people think they helped me. They helped me a lot. They may not have put pen to paper or anything like that, but they took the time to actually answer my phone calls, answer my emails or my text. Um, some of them were um, kind of like, good luck to you. No. Nice try. This isn't going to happen. Yeah. You know. And they were stunned. I can remember um, talking to Alex Martins from Conflict. Uh, he said, you know, congratulations. He calls me up. He goes, Congratulations. And on your rally, he goes, but I'm hearing rumors that 
you don't have any permits. And I started laughing. And I told Alex, I said, man, I'm spending a lot of money if I don't have any permits. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, they were all stunned because he had his rally school up in the Northwest. And I was actually looking at going to that rally school because it's more like here in the Western states. It's up in the timber and stuff, which I thought was really cool. But he said that he had applied and they couldn't get anywhere in the process. And I think one of the processes with the federal government, with the federal land managers, Mm -hmm. is every land manager is different. Mm -hmm. They may have this federal policy for all regions, but when you get to a certain region, they get to modify that policy and procedure for their region. And it's tough. I mean, it's really, really tough to manipulate. Um, but when you get all players on board, as the feds told me, they said they really don't want to talk to anybody anymore because they've never seen a draft document that started at the community level first and then working the way up to the feds last. Because as I've told people is that you get one no yeah. on your route that you want to go. You get one no from a county commission. Anybody, you're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like um, they originally, the BLM said, you know, when they approved this, they said, uh, you know, we're going to look at this for 200 riders because we can see the benefit of this. This is a good sport. This is a really good sport. And you're not asking for anything special. You know, you're telling everybody you come across a mountain biker, slow down, a hiker, slow down, a horse, slow down. You're putting in all the same um, policies for um, um people using the backcountry. That's like I told guys that have done rallies. I said, what happens if you're in another country and you hit a pedestrian or you slam into a car? Do you get a hall pass? I don't think you do. No. So I said, so we have to be different. And I hate to say that, you know, I can understand why they have rallies in other countries. Mm -hmm. They have less regulations, you know, but one of the things I said, if we can do this, you know, we don't have to be, um, um, doing outlaw events, as I put it, because, you know, growing up in the 70s, we used to go from uh, uh, Palisade, Colorado, all the way to Green River on the north side of I-70. And I can remember sitting down at the BLM and figuring out they shut down all off-road travel on the north side of I-70. And I said, and did you take in for effect um, how we're supposed to get from point A to point B, except for the way that you guys laid in? And uh, because one of the things I never liked was, they're putting more and more users in certain areas, and that start you start having conflicts with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you shrink so, you shrink the riding area, and now everybody's in the same. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. you're not you're not it, you're just destroying stuff. And I can remember talking to the Moab office, and I told him, I said, I have one question for you. I said, you guys put in all these restrictions out here, and I said, and you guys have not done the primary restriction. It was all about save the environment. I said, how many times have you shut down the desert during the monsoon season? Silence. I said, yeah. I said, the monsoon season for uh, eastern Utah and western Colorado, when the rain hits, it doesn't matter if you have a bulldozer, an ATV, a motorcycle, that all that bent night in the soil will break chains, uh, take uh, tracks off of bulldozers. Mm-hmm. I said, you guys don't do that. I said, so what are you guys actually trying to do? And it was, and they, they freaked out because they didn't know that 
I graduated from high school over there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't know that back in our day, you could go make a trail anywhere you wanted through the desert, wherever there was no restrictions. You just rode. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the things that we, you know, we're always looking at what further restrictions are going to be put on us. So that's what has us a little worried because we put off last year because of COVID, because every single County was different mm-hmm. for restrictions. And now we're going to have it this year. The yeah. problem is, is, you have a whole new government staff that's taking charge of different agencies like the Department of Interior or whatever. What are their what are their motives towards motorized sports on federal lands? Do mm-hmm. they like them? Do they not like them? Um, I think that's one of the things that I liked about putting the BLM in in Grand Junction because they were in Washington, D.C. making decisions, and they did not put foot in any community and how any kind of a recreational sport when you start putting limitations on it, it's going to affect um, tourism for that community. Yeah. Um, and it also affects the motorized sports. I mean, motorized sports during COVID for enduro riders, people are out buying enduros left and right, mm-hmm. learning how to ride motorcycles to get in the back country. Yeah. But it, it's just, like I said, I this year that we do it right now, we're about half full for uh, participants and I told guys I'm straight up with them because we don't we don't we're not here to make money on this this is not what this is about we mm-hmm. don't this is about us just breaking even and bringing an event that we can start having rally rate events legitimate on the board rally rate events in the United States yeah that's what this is about and Go ahead. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, it's like the the big thing. I I remember it took me a little bit to remember the the situation that you were talking about that that uh, race down. Uh, I don't remember if it was in Lucerne or where, what valley it was down here. Um, but I, I do remember that, and that was a big thing. It's like you know spectators everywhere and all this stuff, and that's that was the I and and previously you know, working with Baharali and all of that. That's the thing is you come up to some of these communities and you go and look. I know that off-road racing has a bad taste because of all of the uh, sensational videos that you see and things that, you know, promote in either direction. But the very first thing that's gone in Rally Raid is the spectators. This is all about the riders yes. and, and go, this is the first thing that goes. So, yeah, the tourism stuff isn't as there, but the riders do bring families. They bring people yes. to these communities um, they're there for the week. They're there for a day. They're there for a night. Whatever it is, and and they spend the money. You're bringing money to it, and it's just it's a whole nother crowd. You know? Yes. So, so you're laying the ground. I I I'm looking at this and seeing this now, and really listening to what you're saying. And it's like you're breaking ground. You know, on on this stuff, you're laying the groundwork. You know, and yeah, to this time around, it's not timed, and and how you're doing it. But that opens the door for future that, okay, well, maybe we can do a certain time section or, you know, maybe there is a a spectator close course section that you do like they do in some of the uh, WRC stuff. Yes. Yeah. So that was one of of the things right there that you were that you're talking about. It's kind of funny because I run into, you know, hair scramble riders and uh, motocross riders and they're getting older. Right. And Mm -hmm. they don't want it. It takes longer to heal. I'm going to be 59 this year. I still ride like hammer down, just go, right? But then if you crash and burn, it takes longer to heal. 
Mm-hmm. So when we sat and looked, they actually, what happened is they actually made me do a risk management study on our route. Um, and when they figured out that it would be no different than a um, guy on a mountain bike getting a broken collarbone, a broken wrist, or something like that, um, they were like, okay. And then when we looked at, the problem was we started looking at the time sections. One of the things is the time sections was cool, but one of the things that we didn't want to run into was closed course. Every time you say the words closed course, you start getting more and more restrictions. Mm-hmm. So that's when we started looking at, we looked at that uh, level of federal lands, 45 miles an hour and below. Anything for a competitive event over 45 miles an hour, you're going to be on a close course. Or if the federal land manager deems that they want to shut it down to the public because you're going to have a bunch of people running through there, that's on the federal land managers to make that decision. So like you stated earlier, is that we don't have to put up signs. That there is huge. You don't have to mark a course. You don't have to do anything. Everything's in a roadbook format, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a spectator sport because it's all about keeping it the route secret. Nobody knows about it until the first rider takes off across the start line. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we did do was to make sure that we felt when we sat down and we talked to uh, some of the communities because the guys will go through some communities and they were paramount about um, one minute start intervals. They don't want a bunch of people with like a bunch of guys riding Harley Davidson's down their uh, main drag or whatever. Yeah. They wanted it to where you wouldn't even really recognize somebody dressed in motocross gear um, riding down a uh, main drag someplace. Yeah. Um, so it, like I said, if it, if it morphs into something where there's time sections and stuff, mm-hmm. that's that's cool. But for right now, yeah. there's a lot of eyes on us. I mean, oh, sure. a lot of eyes. So they can say, uh-huh, we told you so. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and that's they would love nothing more than, <laughs> than that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, uh, you're, you're doing it right. I mean, this is this is huge. <laughs> I've got guys because I've told them, I said, here's the deal. I said, we, 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 they told us that we could have the BLM was looking at up to 200 riders. We looked at them with our jaw dropped open and we said, logistically, how is that possible for us right now? I said, we're looking at everything, logistical matter. We're looking at everything. We trip a certain level of competitors. It pulls another, another lever in the regulation process for some of these counties. If we get over 100 riot participants, well, we got to go through a whole new permitting process. Yeah. And so that's when we said, just we'll just want to start with 30 riders, and then we'll figure out a number later mm-hmm. logistically how to do this. Yeah. Because we, our thing is, is that we don't want anybody riding in the dark, okay? We don't want that to happen. And that's why you look on our website, and if you're the slowest participant in the bunch, Mm-hmm. After the first day, when start positions are drawn after tech inspection on the first day, the second day, if you're the slowest one, we're going to reverse the start order so the slowest guys are going out first and the fastest guys are going out last. Because we know the fastest guys who are good at, have really good riding skill are going to pass somebody who is an intermediate rider or their navigation skills not that good. Mm-hmm. I've had people ask me, well, why did you do different classes? I went, no. I said, this is about the uh, the hare and the tortoise. I said, and you and I have discussed this earlier, it's about the tortoise can win the race. It's that simple. As a competitive event, they can win the race. Um, so 
a lot of people are now understanding that. And uh, especially when I, it's funny, when I show people my uh, rallying light setup on my 450, Mm -hmm. my bike is old. I ride it for a reason because it's a battle tank. And that RFS motor, that's just me. And there's a lot of guys like me. But when they don't care about the bike, they zone in on that rally kit on the front. And when you start telling them about what kind of a deal it is and you tell them it's not a hair scramble, it's not this, it's not that, and you start seeing the smile come out on their face and they go, this could be wonderful. And they go, let me get this right. If I miss a box, I have to turn around and go back to the last box I was at, reset my odometer to that box and try to find my next box. I said, yeah, but what are you doing? And they go, burning time. I said, no, you're not just burning time, you're burning fuel. I said, it is a uh, phenomenal game of chess. I said, Mm -hmm. it's a wonderful game of chess, but it's done on a motorcycle. And uh, some of the guys look at me and giggle. I said, me as a pilot, I don't care if the route is in kilometers or in miles. For pilots, all we care about is, are we going to run out of fuel and fall out of the sky? Because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> much, much simpler problem. <laughs> yeah, very much simpler. With problem. so much <laughs> more implications. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like uh, uh, Billy, who told you about us. I told him, mm-hmm. I said, dude, I love, because I, Billy has me laughing all the time. Yeah. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, for some of us, before GPS was out, you know, we were navigating on compasses. I can remember flying helicopters. What's a GPS? It wasn't even out yet. We were just using uh, a compass with uh, deviation on it that you'd figure out the deviation on the compass to get from point A to point B. And then my dad, you know, ex-military, worked for the government also. And Big Hunter taught us how to navigate in the back country. When I joined the military, you know, everything was compass two, or it was a Loran system. We called it a brick. So um, it we did. Uh, we decided, we sat down and thought about this. We wanted to do the first year without waypoints. We wanted to make it harder. Yes, waypoints are harder because you've got to be within such a distance for the waypoint to unmask. We understand that. But we wanted to take it back old school a little bit before there was waypoints, before all the latest, greatest technology. We wanted to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And then next year, we could put waypoints in because we know how the system works. You know, we use... Uh, Mike Shirley's system from Rally Blitz. Mike has helped us out a ton um, when something comes up. Um, everybody has put, you know, their two cents into um, how to do stuff, you know. And no one has actually thumbed their nose at us or anything like that. Everybody's been, like, super helpful. I mean, I've never seen such a crowd that's been so helpful. Um, it's like uh, it's like sort of like a brotherhood. It's pretty cool. Um but no, we're like I said, we're kind of excited. Um, we don't want to. We don't want to make this into a profit venture. This is a thing that just doesn't benefit uh, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It benefits the communities that these riders go through. When I go to some small podunk town and I knock on the door for the manager's office at the gas station and I ask him, "Do you mind if I? Would you mind allowing you know this many?" Uh, riders on motorcycles coming up to your gas pumps to refuel, use your facilities, and um, buy snacks or whatever if they want to. They are like, please, please, please. I mean, they are all over it. Like, yeah. yes, you know what I mean? So it um, there's, there's a lot more to it than just this. My only thing is 
I wish I could ride my own rally, but I don't consider that fair. (laughs) (laughs) You may or may not know where you're going. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Because I will tell you right now, Victor, there has been times where we have ridden this route. Um, We've done it. Um, We go out, we've run it, plotted it on a GPS for the track. Mm -hmm. And then we come back and I dump everything in a rally blitz and I start going through it that way and all the features and everything. And then we'll go back out and we will ride it again on the road book. And then we'll start drafting up all of the um, speed zones for the speed limits because this rally from start to finish, everybody will be under speed control for it. So, um, and it's funny because I'll look at something and uh, go, I don't remember that being there instead of paying attention to what my Odo said because I was really close to my next turn for my next box. Mm -hmm. And I zip right by it. And I'm looking down at my Odo going, that's weird. I was supposed to turn and then turn around and go back. Yeah. But it just, like I said, it, the Mother Nature changes so much mm-hmm. in the back country that it, you can try to remember it. Yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So I, I had some riders going, you know, I hope I had one rider ask me, he goes, I hope this is a lot of high speed travel. I was like, you're going to appreciate, I told the guys this, that the connector sections, that's your rest area. When you come out of the back country or whatever, you're going to go, oh, man, this is a nice little break. But you're still navigating. You're, you're still navigating. You're still on the clock. You've got to mm-hmm. keep navigating because that's the way we set the whole thing up. Yeah. And um, like I said, I had one this young state trooper call me from California. Mm-hmm. And he goes, is this going to be a high-intensity rally? Because I'm kind of leery. I don't want to get hit by a truck or a quad. I said, no, man, this is just about first riders. It's nothing that's going to be putting a lot of stress on you unless you want to make it a stressful event. That's on you. But I said, you will be tired. I said, every time that I've done it, I said, I eat dinner. And I talked to my friend Scott. And I'm like, dude, I can really stay awake. And I'm out cold. I said, I'm hitting it. And then... We're up early. You know, we have to inspect our bikes and everything. And we've done the route with 60 pounds of cargo. We do all of our route planning. There's, we put 60 pounds of cargo on, and we spend time in the back country. And then we'll end up going to town, spending the night at a motel, and get cleaned up and go spend some more time in the back country. So when we end up doing it with not any cargo on our bikes, it's a joy. You know, and when I talk to Billy, he's like, man, this is wonderful. And he goes, we don't have to carry anything. I said, nope just the required equipment and we'll see you at the bivouac and um so let you know that's about it that's all i can tell you yeah and and so that's like some kind of just in in kind of wrapping but that okay let's so let's talk about getting a a bike ready for this so we already know it's got to be street legal bikes so we got to ditch the mooses for this event you know um the tires dot approved uh lights and sound right so signals. Yes. Uh, okay. So you're going to need the mirrors and also so a true dual sport bike. You need a dual sport bike for this. True. Uh, yeah. And then. But you don't have to have the signals. You don't have to have the signals. You can oh yeah, that's right. Because you do hand signals. Hand signals. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that you know, yeah, that that opens it up. You've got your headlight. You got all of that. All right. Brake light. You know, running light. Um, all right. So we got that. Um, and then it's something you just mentioned. So transportation of, of equipment, right? So you said Malamoto style. So I don't, I don't know. A lot of people know that, but Malamoto is basically, it's the Ironman side of things. You get this box or you get this amount of equipment yes. and you got to figure it out. 
you know, whatever happens to the bike, you got to figure yes. it out. So, uh, are you, are you providing containers or they got to bring their own containers? How, how's this, how's that part work? You no, know, what we're doing, we're, we're, we're supplying the containers. Okay. Yeah. What we're doing is we're supplying the containers that we make sure it's all uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, as per our website, we have, we have required, um, equipment we have required bivouac items. Okay. Uh, we thought that was a good idea to put that on there because me and my best friend, Scott, we used to be, I uh, worked for a hunting outfitter. So everything we did with backcountry people, we always made sure they had the proper equipment. We know there's old hands of doing this kind of stuff, but there's a lot of new guys who haven't. So um, I've had guys ask, can we carry spare tires and stuff like that? We're like, nope, none of that stuff. This is the required stuff that goes in the box. Um, as Chris Vestel said, you mean we can put extra inner tubes in there? I said, you can put anything in there. But I said, the bottom line is this is required items. And then you got to put, you know, your um, camp clothes in there, shorts, shoes, um, toiletries, a towel. I said, but remember this, that lid must close normally. If the lid doesn't close normally, we're going to tell you, you need to go through this, pull something out so that it closes properly. And um, so we've... We've done this route numerous times, a lot of a lot of um, different times. We always put new carcasses on our motorcycles. Mm-hmm. We never run an older tire because we don't want to flat, and we're running heavy tubes, mm-hmm. and we've never had a flat. Yeah. So, um, it, that's about it. Nice. So, so yeah, it's going to keep it simple, and I like the I, I like the idea of it that it, it's it, everything is just laid out. And so that's for me, it's the people, you know, that I've been working on this for a few episodes is trying to get more people into it. This is like the perfect starter event. This is like it, it's, yes. it's like somebody just sat down and said, this is anybody that wants to get into it. This is what they need to do because it's just space. There's no yes. pressure of, of, you know, you're going to be rubbing bars with with Skylar House and Andrew Short and some of those guys. And, and you know, it's it's this, you know, full attack mode kind of thing. No, it's just just it's a roadbook ride. You know, and and yeah, yes. there's that competitive yes. aspect to it. So I think this is going to be this is going to be awesome. Any what other uh, any, any other suggestions? I'm like I'm looking right now at the required equipment and gear, and I and I see some stuff here that's kind of a uh, that's interesting, right? You have your Utah Search and Rescue card, Colorado Outdoor Search and Rescue card, uh, AMA member, got to be an AMA member, uh, street legal, valid with license plate, all of that, uh, Colorado OHV permits. Uh, in there yes you got to have that because it's weird because colorado even though it's got a license plate on it as soon as it goes off road it's got to have an ohv permit on it whereas with utah it's got a license plate on it you don't need an ohv permit Ah, so utah's more like california so if it's got a plate you're good or it's going to have a sticker one of the two but colorado then is like no if it's in the dirt it's you need a sticker or the permit yes okay But you you've laid it out here. I see the link here on the website, so it's easy to find. You know, people can apply for that Uh, spot Garmin inReach tracker or equivalent satellite personal tracker, which everybody should own one of these. Uh, And if I (laughs) and if I may share a tidbit of knowledge, not mounted on the bike because nobody cares (laughs) where the bike ends up. (laughs) I promise. True, so true. Only the guy that's on the bike cares where the bike ends up. And then, uh, and then the other one I I, I laugh at because I've, I've seen all sorts of fun combinations. Uh, we used to have that you should be able to activate. Uh, this was a Baja Rally thing. You should be able to activate your SOS button in three 
motions. Because what I've seen is guys pack it in a Ziploc bag inside another Ziploc bag inside the zippered pocket inside the main pocket of their Camelback. And it's like, <laughs> good luck. I mean, <laughs> so that's well, I'm like you. Mine's mounted directly to my KTM vest. I, yeah. I mean, my uh, KL climb vest, excuse me. Yeah. So that if I get launched off the bike and I tank it in, Mm-hmm. It goes with me. It's your co-pilot. <laughs> <laughs> you and it are going for a flight, you know. But I mean, it makes sense. I mean, that's where it should be. And I've done, I've done some stuff. You know, I've done some talks when I worked at BMW Motorcycles on the same thing, and I said literally the same thing because I used to see trackers come in mounted to the motorcycle, and I go, nobody cares where the bike ends up at all. You know, you you got to be able to activate that thing. So that's so true. yeah. And I think Giant Loop has a, a if you don't have like yeah, I use the climb. Yeah, I guess we use the same vest, and it, it, you've got the holes yes. and everything to mount the stuff there. But if you don't, I know that uh, uh, Giant Loop makes uh, the what do they call it? The tracker packer or something like that. I think they call it. But it's a mount. Yeah, that's specific. what I use. I, oh, okay, yeah, that's what I use. Yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah, it, I mean, just simple. And then uh, sat phones. So you guys have, and then it looks like there's going to be a sat phone uh, rental group there or group rentals. Yes, and that, yes, and that, that happened because um, the agencies that we we're dealing with, because originally they, we have to be able to talk to any EMS or law enforcement agency for recoveries of it or anything like that. That was a huge thing because you're talking some of these smaller agencies don't have FM radios to loan us so that we could go to the clear channel, as we call it. It's a universal channel to where agencies can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So that's when we came up with the idea for sat phones because we can't even use a cell phone where this is going to be taking place. And it's a pretty good deal that we got. You know, the bottom line is if anybody has to use their sat phone for a legitimate emergency, we're going to reimburse them. There's no is for them that that phone is only for one thing Mm -hmm. for emergencies. It's not for, you know, calling the family, the girlfriend or whomever Mm -hmm. or work. If you're going to use it for that, then that's on you. This is for um, the part of those stakeholders being down at that table with us and going over everything just like those. Uh, search and rescue cards those search and rescue cards are very important because when i sat down with these agencies they were telling me horror stories about them you know going bankrupt they had one event they told uh, a bunch of mountain bikers don't ever come back because actually bankrupts the search and rescue agency for a sheriff's department because nobody had one of those search and rescue because what happens if they pull you out of the back country the state where it happened they reimburse that agency Mm-hmm. instead of them sending you a bill. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was, um, you know, like I told you earlier, a lot of agencies looked at me and says, well, you know how this is going to go, right? Your ex-law enforcement, you will not be cutting any corners on this. We're going to sit down on this together, and we're going to go right down and see how we can make this work and have this event happen yeah. to where it is a legitimate event, even though it is not a, like you said, it's not a, hell on wheels, throttle down, Mm -hmm. uh, speed event, a rally. It's still a rally, and it's classified as a recreational event because it is so new, the AMA only has one classification for it because it's not on a closed course. If it's not on a closed course, it's considered a recreational event, even Mm -hmm. though it is a competitive event. Um, uh, So 
as you stated earlier, when it comes to the BLM and that uh, trophy truck accident, it was kind of sad because if you have three people geocaching on horses, that would be considered a competitive event. They totally went the furthest direction yeah. on clamping down on everything. Mm-hmm. So as we're telling everybody, it's like I told you, when you sign up for our event, you're acknowledging that this is not a speed event. Yeah. You're acknowledging that if your behavior gets this event canceled because of reckless and careless, you may end up seeing us in civil court because all these poor riders that came across from different states and everything mm-hmm. that paid money to get here, they're not going to be very happy because you couldn't tow the lawn. It's, yeah. It was that simple. So that's one of the things that we're making very, very, very clear. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't say it any better than that. No, and and by and large, and that's the cool part. I mean, it's like by and large, the 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 rally crowd, the people that go to these rally events, they it's not generally a you know a rowdy bunch and like you know see how fast we can go and that kind of stuff. So it's it's more uh, it's a more tame thing because, like you said, it's it's definitely it's it's chess, not checkers, you know, and it's Correct. not you know it. it it really takes a lot of that pressure off. And then, and I mean, like the bivouac stories and the stuff that going in the land and all of the stuff that you guys are going to see is just, is just crazy. Uh, one thing I'm, I'm laughing about, I'm trying not to laugh so you could hear it on the microphone, but personal GPS with spare batteries placed in an evidence bag provided by the organizer. Oh yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. what? Okay. So I've seen it. So basically you're trying to keep it so people could not use a GPS, GPS their way out of this thing. Unless it was correct, an emergency type situation. Correct. Okay. So what we're doing is is that um, one of the things was we were supposed they wanted us to have a EMS helicopter on station for this thing. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at it, I looked at them and I said, "So where would you like me to put it?" I said, "We have a six hundred mile rally, four day, four days. Where would you like me to put it?" Everybody at the table got really quiet, and I said, "Okay." Let me work on this. I said, with me doing search and rescue for the agency that I work for and all kinds of other stuff, let me sit down with the EMS um, helicopter providers and talk to them. And so we came up with the um, idea of, because we're going through so much diverse terrain, of not just the GPS for when guys get lost, that GPS is going to be paramount for like a guy comes across somebody is hurt because it's mandatory they stop and assist. Mm-hmm. But if a EMS helicopter has to be deployed, they can find a clearing, give the GPS coordinates um, to law enforcement or to us and tell them what's going on. Because the law enforcement providers are the ones that was the agreement. They're going to dispatch the EMS helicopter. Cool. We're not going to do that on our own. We're going to call we're going to call them and call 911. They're going to route us to wherever uh, county that we're in. And then they will um, send a helicopter. And so each rider, all they have to do is find a good-sized clearing, and there's a couple of them, and say, these are the coordinates that you can land a helicopter in. Mm-hmm. But like I said, these are – this is, Victor, like I said, two years. And like I said, yeah. it was just one thing after another thing and another thing. And it's it's totally different. Like I said, I – if I had hair, I'd be losing it all over again. <laughs> oh man! Well, I you know, and it, and it's very evident. I mean, like I'm 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 going to put obviously I'll I'll put the link in the in the uh, podcast description so people can get onto the onto the website and check this out. But 
I could tell you just by looking at this list, yes, every bit of two years and a lot of experience. Uh, I'm, you know, looking at the emergency tools and first aid kit, everything that you've got listed down here and, and you know, all of the permits and things that, you know, people are going to need, um, you know, the, the search and rescue carts and all this stuff like that doesn't come just, you know, everything has a purpose. So and it's all laid out nice and clear and, and just simple to follow along. So to me, I'm looking at it, I'm going, cool, just start from the top, you know, work your way down. And, and at the end, you'll be ready for this event. Yes. Yeah. And I just like I tell everybody, I'm like, um, like I said, just be prepared. You know, I said we ride Enduros. Enduro to me, to me means you can ride about anything that those little two wheels can go on. But I think it's going to be a really fun event. Um, I know we may not make some people happy. And at the end of the event, we're actually going to do surveys and say, what did you like? What did you not like? Because we know, and I'm not stupid, that something may go wrong. You know, that's mm-hmm. we didn't think about. But we've kind of, like I said, we've tried to look, mitigate the problems the best we can. Mm-hmm. only thing that does is get you as close to zero problems because you know a problem is still going to pop up. Um, but like I said, the even for a DNF, for a guy having a DNF because we know they can't make up their time, they can, if they get their bike up and running, they can continue the rally. Their time just doesn't count. You paid to go hang with the guys, mm-hmm. enjoy the scenery, enjoy great riding, yeah. all different kinds of riding. That's what you paid for. Mm-hmm. That's, we want people to see the places that we have seen. So the places we were elk hunting at when we were like 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 14-year-olds. I mean, all the stuff that we did. And one of the things that we're really promoting is our whole principle that the federal land managers like is leave no trace. You know, I've had people ask, well, Mike, you don't have a motel or hotel for us to stay at. You don't have a banquet dinner. You don't have this. You don't have that. And I look at everybody and I go, we're trying to get people into this sport. This sport is very small in the U S and it would be very nice to say, okay, can you live with, sleeping in a dome tent at a bivouac on a preferably a good air mattress and eat freeze-dried food that's cooked in a jet boil stove because we sat down with the federal land managers the first words out of their mouths were are you guys outdoorsmen this is uh, this is the leave no trace principle i said yes we want to be able to bring riders through and you won't even be able to tell we've been there and i said that's what we're doing. So what they did, and they didn't tell us, is they actually did a NEPA study on our route. Now, if anybody knows what a NEPA study is um, that's in motorized sports, the death knell. Because it's an environmental, it's an uh, uh, environmental impact statement. And if anything comes up, red flags, they can say no right there, no matter how much planning that you put into it. They can modify it the way that they want. It was just, they didn't tell us. And when they told us, it came out of the Utah office, and they said, you guys are golden. And we're like, because what Susie told me, I got this sick feeling in my stomach. Yeah, we did an EPA study. I was like, oh, we're, we're done. Yeah. We're, we're done. And uh, he says, no, you guys are golden. You guys did a very, very good job. So, you know, there's like those um, uh, ported two bags that are in there, right? We're mm-hmm. finding out there's so much traffic in the backcountry through the desert that, 
the human waste is stacking up because it's not decomposing. It's turning into landmines of toilet paper and human waste. So that was the only thing that we had to add to it, and that came from an outfitters meeting that all of us permit holders attend yearly, mm-hmm. and that came up. And we were like, oh, that's easy. That That's easier. Our, you know, That's an easy one. Right. So if it's any solid human waste, you have to pack it out and then just deposit it in a trash can somewhere. It's, mm-hmm. it's no big thing. You know, so and I told him, I said, we've got this pretty well laid out. Um, hopefully the guys won't have to um, be doing that unless they get food poisoning because they ate something someplace. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. But um, like I said, it's it's a totally different mindset. And we looked at it and I said, but Scott and I sat down and looked at it. We were watching a lot of the Cirrus Rally videos, and I said, dude, I like the way they threw in some hard enduro parts. It's not just um, this type of train. It's all kinds of train. And I said, look at where we live. This would be wonderful for us. This would be wonderful for anybody um, that wants to get into rally. And um, that's why we're here today, and you're doing this interview with me. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be crazy. I mean, I, I, I'm looking forward to it because, again, it's, it's, it's like this is the introduction. Like this is the ground floor on what I think is going to be a, a whole series of events and a lot of stuff that you're going to be able to do because you've laid this groundwork. And then I hope to other people that maybe end up listening to this and think they want to do it. You know, they take they take heed to what you had to go through uh, to get the event to where it is now. And and then and. By that, treat it with the same respect. Do the you know, pay pay dues on that. That it's you know, it takes a lot of work to do it right. And if we want it, we're going to have to do it right, or it's going to get shut down just as fast. Because they've got plenty of examples to go back and say, well, yeah, I know you're cool and all, but see, this happened, and because this happened, we don't do permits for this anymore. Or you know. Yes. So you have to be different. You have to be responsible. And and I think this is cool because a lot of the, the vast majority of the guys that I would see at the rallies, uh, just getting back from Sonora Rally and then getting ready for Baja Rally um, coming up and, and the years that I did with Baja Rally is, is that there's a big group that they don't care about the time. All they, they, they've they got two things on their mind. One is, was it a clean run? Did I get all the way points? Did I not get penalized in the speed zones? And two is, you know, I made it back. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it, it's just an adventure to them, and this is exactly what this is. It's just a huge adventure uh, in the Colorado Utah area. Yeah, this is yes, it's, a, awesome. it's funny that you'd say that, Victor, because I look up. And there's a lot of us gray hairs that are doing this sport. Yeah, uh, it is definitely the you know I, I talked about it in, in previous episodes. It op- it's wide open now. You don't have to be the the twenty five year old that can run the you know run a mile in under four minutes and you know is a power lifter and you know has been riding and doing this. You don't you don't have to be this uh, basically a jockey to do this sport. No, you know it, no. it's it's it is every bit the the wise man's game and and, and playing and, and making sure you're hitting your waypoints and and reading that road book to the T and and making it happen because. The second you deviate off of that, you're off into the sunset, and the guy behind you is the one now beating you. you know? Yes, <laughs> that's a, that's the best part. You yeah. know, it's like it, I, like I said, I enjoy speaking rally to people, even though I've never done it. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I just love doing it. 
Mm-hmm. And I tell people, I go, you have two built-in errors in your uh, instrumentation. I said, your first error is on your wheel-based uh, sensor for your odometer. Mm-hmm. Every time that wheel comes up off the ground, it's generating a um, number that is going to affect you down the road. Mm-hmm. And I said, the other one is um, if you're using a satellite odometer, I said, it's line of sight. It's straight line. It doesn't take in the curvature of the earth. So every time you get to your box, you're going to be off a couple tenths. And so you have to reset your odometer to that um, odometer reading for that box. If you fail to do that, you get run out at the other end. And you can get really messed up on your navigation real fast. And then you see them putting two two together, and they go, dude, that ain't cool. I said, no, you start figuring out, you get the sense. Does this tulip match the train features Mm -hmm. of where I'm at right now? And you go, this has got to be it. So you redo everything and take off for your next box. So... Like I said, I think it's just it's if this could just happen, if it could just happen, mm-hmm. I think that it could go a lot further across the U.S. As long as everybody, you know, like you said, they want to do it with the purpose of doing this above board and making it a, an event that everybody can hold their head up high and go, that was wonderful. And mm-hmm. nobody did anything stupid to jeopardize the sport. It was a really good time. And all I want to hear, because right now one of the towns I'm talking to all the time, there are people like, Mike, I hope this becomes a permanent thing for you. I hope this is this is great. Um, they actually wanted us to go take the time and start writing some of their areas as we grew up over there, you yeah. know, on parts of the Western Slope. When the Forest Service looks at you and goes, you know, can we go ride with you? I'm like, um, no, just for the event only. I said, because... We don't want the areas that we've been riding when we were younger to end up falling under, you know, uh, control of you guys, whether we can ride it or not. It's on the motor vehicle use uh, plan. And, and, and they start laughing because yeah. they know it's the truth. Yeah. They know it's the truth. Yeah. But, but like I said, I think I, I want everybody to uh, email me. They want to call me, call me. Yeah. They want to text me, text me. My phone number's on our site. I'm really easy to get a hold of if I don't answer my phone. Um, like the other day when you reached out to me, I was up above Gibson in the BLM, yeah. um, checking out the suspension that Enduro spec had done for me on my 625 and trying to dial it in. But that's just me. I have the time, and I want people to call me, talk to me. They have any questions. And if I can't answer their questions, I've had guys who want to get into rally and the cost does not bother them. They, you know, they are GP racers and stuff like that. And they go, I just want to get into it. And I was like, well, you've already beat back the first thing, buying all the gear. And so I try to hook them up with riders in their location that they want to put together an actual rally bike, like a 690 that's blown out or 701, mm-hmm. whatever. That That's what they want to do. And so I reach out to somebody that called and talked to me and I said, hey, man, you ride that area. Could you talk to this guy? And they're like, sure, here's my information. Tell him to talk to me. And that, and it's been, like I said, it's been that way ever since we started this venture. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, and that, I mean, it, that's going to go a long way. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put, like I said, I'll put the information in the description. And, um, and yeah, I mean, the goal is to get um, get more people headed, you know, headed your way and reaching out. And, and because, in turn, it's going to grow the, uh, it's going to grow rally rate in the U.S., it just that it it just that's how it's going to happen. 
you know, so. You, you, know what's, you know what's really weird, Victor, as I told you, I said, if I don't end up with the 30 participants as uh, participants that I agreed with uh, Anubi Sports for their Stella Trackers, mm-hmm. we have, we're still going to have the rally. I got guys who tell me, Mike, I don't care whether or not I have a tracker on my motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And because I told them, I said, I'll still have the rally. We didn't do all this work for nothing. Yeah. And they go, we don't care. I said, we'll just use, we'll use a, a timing system that we have. And good luck. And I said, you guys are not going to give me one nickel. I said, that's the way it works. I said, i either have the event and you guys have to pay an entry fee because the federal government wants their money, of course. Mm-hmm. But if this will be Mike and Scott did this, you guys go enjoy. And you know what? You guys will go talk to other people and go, you know what? This was the greatest thing that happened. We had a great time. And then it's word of mouth. Yeah. And so that's about it. But like yeah. I said, I just, we're, we're excited. We've got a lot of people. we got some people. I got a guy all the way from, I think, Vermont or Maine who wants to volunteer. Nice. And the only thing I tell the volunteers is you got to be an AMA, excuse, an AMA member and you have to have a Red Cross card. That's it. That The Red Cross card part, that comes from our federal, federal handlers. You got to have one. Gotcha. And that's about it. Nice. Yeah, well, maybe we'll get you some more volunteers too. <laughs> but definitely I the participants. Be a hoot. Oh, I, I, think, I think so too. I, I honestly hope you end up with a waiting list, and and you know, or, or an alternate list, you know, for yeah. the for the thirty rider. That's that's what I'm hoping for because I think this event is absolutely worth it. You know, I think it's it's going to be a great start for a lot of people. So, I think the the, the, word, the part is is that we were supposed to have a couple of guys pre ride the route for us because we've done it. We want guys to ride it who don't know about the route and they're not going to compete in the rally. We want them to just say, all right. Here's the road books. We're going to be trucking along behind you, and it's on you. And mm-hmm. we're, we want to we want to track the whole route because that was one of the things about using the Stella trackers. We we're going to put them on the bikes, pre-ride the route, so it's hardwired um, uh, via the tracking system uh, for the actual route. Even though they have the um, uh, GPX file from Rally Navigator that they can load into it, mm-hmm. but we are, we are just looking at guys. We're going to do it and uh, to help us out because we only needed like four people. We were going to start them in, you know, one minute intervals and just put one of us guys with them Mm -hmm. or just have two of us just to ride together. And we thought it would be a really good time and get their feedback. But um, like I said, I think it's going to be once the official word gets out, we're just hoping that everybody just enjoys themselves. That's about it. Well, it sounds like it's the right recipe for it. In in some horrible countryside, I don't know why you would send them through there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've seen the pictures. I've seen what you're posting <laughs> on your Instagram. I'm going, damn. <laughs> you see, California, I get a couple mountains and some buildings, but you know. <laughs> I had one, that last post I put on today because I got to finish transferring for everything from my 450 to my 625, my rally kit, mm-hmm. and I put on there. I said, uh, what did I put? I said, this uh, is the wrong arrow in the quiver uh, for my use. I said, because it wasn't designed for making a button hook 90-degree turn on some mountain trail. And somebody posted on there, um, I think I'm going to slim down my rally kit so I can get some more turn angle. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how quickly things need to change when you, yeah, when you need. So uh, it's going to be, it is going to be awesome. Absolutely awesome. So. 
yeah, but I'll get, uh, I, like I said, you know, I mentioned a couple times, I'll put the link down in the podcast description. Uh, we will get, uh, I'll get your Instagram on there too. And then um, I'll see, I think I have your email address through the, uh, through the website, but if you don't mind, I can also put it in the description as well. So if there's anybody that's listening and wants to email you directly, uh, you know, they can do so. They can do so, and you can also put my phone number on there too, because the phone number that's listed within uh, on our on the AMA too. So, oh, okay. if you want to do that, you can do that also. Right, I was just gonna say because I do, I do have, uh, I've been uh, blessed, thankful, grateful that I've got, uh, we've got a worldwide audience now. So, I don't want anybody, you know, with their rich uncles that passed, and the prince needs to transfer money, and you know. <laughs> They want to cut no, you a check. Do I don't want that. <laughs> so we'll leave the phone that. number off and we'll stick with the email. It's easier to field those ones there. <laughs> I've always seen Eddie Murphy's, uh, I mean, uh, second uh, video. So I don't for coming to America. Oh, yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, you never know. You never know with all the new scams and stuff that's out there. So awesome. Well, awesome, Mike. Well, I will let you go. And we'll get uh, we'll get to it. I'm going to go ahead and uh, get this episode uh, ready to go and buttoned up, and uh, people will be listening to it on Sunday. Victor, thank you for spending the time talking to me. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, and we'll keep in touch. And I look forward to sharing the posts and and hearing the adventure. And uh, and uh, I don't know, I don't know that work will be too happy if I take that much time off in September. But uh, <laughs> if things change, I'll probably be out there. But we'll definitely be uh, keeping in contact with you to to hear how it's going. Thank you. Of course. No, thank you. You too. Thank you. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Perfect. This is awesome. So with a chance to talk to Mike Graves, that was Mike Graves from the Kota Rally Adventures uh, group. And we were talking about the Kota Rally that is going to be coming up in September. Uh, so I'm going to put, as I've mentioned like a hundred times already, but the link is going to be in the description of the podcast if you guys want to check it out. Um, you should check it out. If you've been listening along and, and just want to get roadbook experience, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, 600 miles, uh, you know, with a, spending a few days, uh, four days, 600 miles in the Colorado, Utah area. Um is going to be awesome. So, uh, a few requirements, things like that. But you know, it's above board. It's cool. It's going to be helping a lot of these little communities and stuff like that, as he mentioned. You know, going through. Uh, so, I think that it is going to be a very, 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 very cool event. I am absolutely looking forward to this growing because once you get it done once, now it's going to be easier. I'm sure for Mike to be able to do a couple, maybe a couple more events, maybe smaller events, things like that, and get things going. The racing part of it and the time stages, you know, that's going to be cool. But like a lot of the guys know, you know, uh, that run uh, run road books uh, that are going to Dakar and stuff like that. For the practice, they're not necessarily interested in the timing. They're more interested in hitting their waypoints and making sure that they can navigate. Uh, and the only way to do that is to continue to reading. It's just reading road books and practicing and practicing and practicing. So uh, definitely check out the website if you're in the area or if you're feeling ambitious and want to head out. Uh, for this event, it is coming up in September, September 10th through the 14th. Uh, again, website will have that information, email address. You can always email Mike if you've got any additional questions uh, about the rally and what's going on or, or what to expect. Or if you know, maybe something on the website that you didn't see or maybe don't quite understand, uh, definitely do so. 
because uh, this is going to be cool. So it is Thursday night, but you guys are going to be hearing this on Sunday. So if you guys got any questions, uh, also you can post it up on Facebook. So I will share this on Facebook at Chasing Waypoints is the Facebook page. Uh, you can follow that and you can post on there, reply there, and then um, we'll get the information over to Mike or see if he can answer the questions as well. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Chasing Waypoints underscore official and also on YouTube. So and if you found some value in this podcast... You know, maybe a like, a subscribe, a, you know, a comment, you know, I don't know. Uh, no, the, you know, I don't know. We're doing this for fun. This is awesome. I've, I've been enjoying I've been absolutely stoked to have so many cool people on the show already uh, and looking forward to having many, many more uh, as we move forward with this adventure. Again, if you haven't already, rewind back to the last episode. There's, we were talking with Happy Dave just fresh off of his Sonora Rally Adventures. Uh, so definitely want to check in and check that episode out. Uh, But yeah, don't forget, like, subscribe, and we will see you guys next Sunday. All right, see ya.